Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. White Witch Podcast with me, Carly. I hope you are all well. I'm so excited today. I have my interview for you with the lovely George Lizos. George is the author of the soon-to-be-released book, Lightworkers Gotta Work, a fabulous book that I've had the fortune to be able to read in advance of its release August this year. You can currently pre-order it on Amazon. It's due for release August 19th. It's a fascinating insight into how healers, spiritual entrepreneurs, intuitives and artists can find their life purpose, but also overcome any fears or limiting beliefs they may have that prevent them from following it. Make sure you check out George's podcast called Lit Up Lightworker. He has oodles of content, interviews with the likes of Carl Gray, Lisa Lister, Gala Darling, Yasmin Boland. He regularly delves into witchcraft, working with the Fae, magic, and all aspects of spirituality. He also has a YouTube channel that offers up excellent content along the same lines. And his website is packed full of free content that you can access to help you understand your own personal life purpose, if this is something that you would like to explore. So George's book opens up all about his transition into paganism, We discuss this and George also talks about how to find our own life purpose. We also delve into working with and, well, all about divine masculine energy. This is all in part two of today's episode. So we'll finish off today in part three with a segment on creating sacred space for your spell and ritual work. How I personally cast a circle. This is following a request from a lovely listener who asked if we could delve into this topic. Then to finish up today's episode, we have a spell book, a spell box that you might want to have a go at making yourself. Kicking off today's show and tying this in with our last segment on sacred space, I wanted to review a book I have had in my collection for a little while now called Sage Burning. Sacred Energy Cleansing Rituals, written by Kira Fogg. So I picked this book up last year as I started hand-making sage wraps using my own homegrown sage. This book offers an outline on the power of smoke cleansing and how and why it has been used over the course of time. I'm just going to read you some of the intro from the book to give you some insight into this. The fragrant smoke of dry plants has been used in religious and medicinal ceremonies around the globe for thousands of years. In ancient Greece, herbs and resins were burned by priests to heal the sick, while Buddhist monks used the smoke from incense to guide their meditation. 
In European peasant cultures, the practice had more practical applications as it was intended to clear parasites and bugs from domestic animals and burned in hospitals in an effort to prevent contagion. The use of smoke as a form of spiritual cleansing is perhaps best known as a result of the indigenous ritual of purifying, a sacred practice whereby the smoke from sweet grass, tobacco, cedar or white sage is used in ceremonies to rid a subject of negative thoughts, energies and spirits. While the specific tools and plants used in this process can vary a great deal from tribe to tribe, all view this ancient practice as a way to shift between the physical and spiritual realms. The book focuses on how to build your own sacred kit, so supplies you'll need to create your own bespoke cleansing rituals, how to create sacred herb sticks, sacred bowls, sacred sprays, how to make your own incense. There is a section on cleansing using crystals, sacred plants and their properties to help you create your own blends, how to successfully blend different combinations of spices, herbs, etc. for your sage cleansing, how to dry and wrap your sacred sticks, guidelines on burning them, and how to create your own sacred space. It also has sacred prayers you may wish to use or to inspire you to create your own, and also how to create your own custom rituals. So leaving the best till last, the book has over 30 custom crafted blends and rituals that you can try on top of the inspiration given to create your own. This book is packed out with beautiful, light, bright, minimalistic photos. There are excellent instructions, so it makes it really easy to use. The book's really inspired me to confidently create my own sage blends. You will likely find this far more rewarding than buying sage sticks online. You could also grow a lot of the herbs this book gives you in your garden or just even in a pot on a windowsill and supplement some additional bits from local stores to really personalise your practice. If you're in the UK, I picked this book up for a steal at the works. It was a little while back. I do regularly come back to this book for inspiration on what to grow to harvest but also to understand what each plant and herbs properties are for use in spell work. Join me after the break when I interview George Lizos. I have to confess, I've still not quite cracked it with my interview skills. However, George was an absolute diamond. I want to welcome George Lizos to the show. George works in elemental healing, so connected with the healing qualities of nature and the elements of earth, air, fire, water and spirit, past life therapy and psychic communication. He has a brilliant podcast called The Lit Up Light Worker Podcast, a fantastic YouTube channel. His book is due to come out later this year called Light Workers Got to Work. So, George, I mentioned to my friend Sophie you were coming on, and the first thing she said was, oh, I love listening to George. He's so soothing, and I completely agree with her. Always love listening to your podcast. So, so glad to have you on the show. Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much for having me, Carly. It is wonderful to be here with you. <laughs> Thank you so 
much. So I'm currently reading your book, Lightworkers Got to Work, and it is so good. Like it's really resounding with me. I can't put it down. Um, to start, I just wanted to read. There's a few bits in your book that I'm absolutely in love. Well, I'm in love with the whole thing, but there's a few bits in it that really resounded with me. I feel like I need to share them on the show. I just wanted to read out one of the sections. So uh, here we go. Over their soul's journeys, lightworkers have incarnated as witches, healers, shamans, wise ones, mystics, and spiritual speak seekers of all sorts. They've been burned at the stake, crucified for their beliefs, persecuted for practicing their magic, and shamed for owning their light and speaking their truth. Yet lifetime after lifetime, these brave souls have chosen to be reborn from the ashes, recuperate their strengths and come back time and time again, persisting and perfecting their skills and shining their light. I love that. I love it. I love it. So, George, after all that, can you explain to me what a light worker is, please? Oh, my goodness. Just listening to you read that because <laughs> I, oh, I, I haven't really yes. heard anybody read my book out loud. I usually like I'm in my head writing. So it was the first time I heard that out loud and it gave me shivers, like even though I was the one writing that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm available for the audio audible <laughs> <laughs> So let, let me break things down because so a light worker is anyone who has this unique calling of helping making the world a better place by being in the world. However, in the book, as you know, I introduce a new term. I coined a new term of light workers called ascension light workers, which is a special breed of light workers that are old, mature souls that have incarnated as witches and shamans and wise ones and have incarnated over several past lives with the aim of helping making the world a better place. However, as I've just written in the book, we've been persecuted, we've been suppressed, we've been forced to uh, stay quiet and work our magic in the um, in the broomstick closet in a way, rather than allowing ourselves to work our light out into the open. And as a result, we've been coming in, in this present time space reality with the purpose of helping ascend the vibration of the, of the planet. So this is the collective purpose of Ascension Lightworkers. They've been coming in, we've been coming in over the past few decades, and especially now in this time uh, space reality for the purpose of upgrading the Earth's software, so to speak, and helping the planet to transition to the new Aquarian age, to the new Earth, to the new golden age. There are many terms all signifying the same thing. So we're not here to master life on Earth. We're here to revolutionize life on Earth. And I feel what's going on right now with uh, the coronavirus, it's speeding up the ascension process. It's shaking a, a lot of ascension light workers up, telling us, you know what, you have to light up, you have to get your light to work and stop procrastinating. It's time to come out of this spiritual closet and really help lead the earth forward into this new, um, this new dimension, so to speak. So this is what a light worker and an ascension light worker is. I love it. Absolutely. Everything you said there also being so relevant to this time. I know there's a section in there about your geography teacher who said, um, don't worry about healing Mother Earth. Mother Earth has always been here. She's always existed without us. It's more about saving, you know, sort of humankind in a sense. Which, and all of it, just that, you know, that part of the book was so relevant to everything happening right now in the world. 
Oh gosh, one hundred percent. Yeah, because uh, I, I I feel like not not I feel like it's it's clear that the Earth <laughs> has survived all the destructions it has gone through. It's been here for four point something billion years, and the elementals, the spirits, and the consciousness of nature have been here since the beginning of time, ensuring that the Earth keeps finding its its balance. And it's us we should really be <laughs> afraid of because yes. <laughs> if we keep abusing the Earth then it's going to just kick us out of the system in its process of finding balance. That's why in Lightworkers Gotta Work, I really wanted to stress this idea of partnering up with nature and working with nature to find balance between masculine and feminine energy, because these, these two energies, the masculine and the feminine, are so just present and balanced in the physical world, in nature, and yeah. therefore, they because we are part of nature as well, we are also balanced in that masculine and feminine energy. And yet, we experience imbalance between these two energies because of how masculine energy has been abused over 6,000 years with the rise of patriarchy. So it's really mm -hmm. by returning to nature, that's like uh, one of the, um, the really important messages that I aim to communicate with the book by returning back to nature. We find that innate balance, we remember it, and therefore we're able to follow our life purpose as life workers. I love it. I mean, that's a really good question. How can someone know that they are a light worker? So there are two uh, different ways to figure out if you are a light worker. So two different characteristics that many light workers share. One of them is they have this strong sense of purpose. Like from a very young age, I'm sure you've read my life story from a very young age, I felt like I was this weirdo, like being out in nature, looking up to the sky and asking the life's big questions like, who am I? Why am I here? What is the purpose of life? Like having these urge that I'm here to serve in a big way. So light workers have a strong sense of purpose that usually goes beyond their personal realm and extends into the global collective realm. So that is the second mm -hmm. characteristic of purpose. The first one is they have a strong sense of purpose. The second characteristic is this purpose has to do with helping making the world a better place. So that's why I said in the beginning, um, we didn't come here to master life on earth. We came to revolutionize it because our purpose goes beyond our personal well-being and it extends and expands into the global well-being. So if anyone hearing right now feels like, you know what, I've always had this sense like I'm here for a big purpose and I feel that my life purpose has to do with helping making the world a better place, well, then you, my friend, are a light worker and it's time for you to get your light to work because the world needs it. And that's so important because I had a conversation with a group of the four of my friends. So two of us feel like we finally found something we were actually we can actually do. You know, we finally found our purpose. And two of my friends said, you know, don't worry, we'll find ours. Um, you know, we're just having a conversation about it recently. But that's a really good question. How do we actually find our life purpose? Okay, so in the book, I have the first part of the book is called Find Your Purpose, where I guide mm -hmm. people through a step-by-step -step formula to finding and defining your life purpose in a specific two-paragraph definition. And I also include a meditation with the unicorns that's downloadable, uh, that guides you in a, in a future life progression to figure out how your life purpose looks like so you can take yourself there. But before we go there, before we go into finding a life purpose, we first need to understand 
um, the different purposes of light workers. I feel we have four purposes as light workers. Now, whenever I ask someone like a light worker, what is your life purpose? I usually hear, oh, my life purpose is to help people heal or to help make the world a better place. And I'm like, duh. That is our collective light worker purpose. We all share that. Your life purpose is way more specific than that. So let's talk about the four purposes of light workers. The first is the collective light worker purpose, which is to help make the world a better place, to help in the ascension of the planet. The second purpose, that's the soul realm purpose. Now, as light workers, we are divided into different soul groups or soul realms. We have the star seeds, we have the incarnated angels or the incarnated elementals. We have different groups of souls that share unique characteristics and personalities and collective purposes. And then the second one we have is the soul realm purpose. Now, soul realms are groups of souls in the same way that we have countries and we have different continents we have different groups of souls that have unique characteristics with unique personalities and therefore unique collective purposes as well that draw from that collective light worker purpose so we have the star seeds we have the incarnated angels the incarnated elementals those are all different types of uh, of soul realms then our third purpose is our soul purpose now, this soul purpose draws from the soul realm purpose, and it is, it is a purpose that our soul fulfills over a series of lifetimes. So let's say, for example, it may take five lifetimes to fulfill our soul purpose. And then we have our life purpose. Our life purpose, it's a very specific life purpose that is a step towards fulfilling our soul purpose. So it is one of those five lifetimes, for example, that it takes to fulfill our soul purpose. So it is drawn from the soul purpose, which is drawn from the soul realm, which is drawn from the light worker purpose. Therefore, all our power is in the present moment. So all we have to do to fulfill all our four purposes is to focus on the life purpose. And that's why in the book, I guide people through a very specific step-by-step -step formula to define that life purpose so we can start following our light worker purpose to help make the world a better place. Brilliant. I mean, the, the other part of the book that I wanted to go into and ask you about, there's obviously a lot in regards to divine masculine rising. So could I ask you what actually is the divine masculine? Of course. So source and every aspect of life is made up of two main energies which is the divine masculine and the divine feminine now the divine masculine it is the logical structured uh, action-oriented side of source it's all about moving forward with our life purpose it's all about taking action and planning and just taking real palpable action steps towards it whereas the feminine the divine feminine aspect of source and therefore ourselves and therefore life is all about the um, fluidity and resting nurturing and um, it's a very unstructured kind of energy so it's all the time we spend in meditation in prayer uh, doing yoga and just allowing ourselves to receive intuitive guidance it's still creative but it's a different type of creation it's a more receptive kind of creation so these are the two differences between divine masculine and divine feminine and they are two energies that we need 
we both need in order to properly move on with our life purpose. The reason I wanted to focus the book on balancing and really embracing the, uh, the divine masculine energy as well as the divine feminine is because I see so many light workers just instead of light workers, sorry, light working, they light chill <laughs> in the yeah. sense that they feel like, oh, I'm just meditating all day long and by changing my vibration, I'm changing the vibration of the world. And I'm like, yes, to some degree. <laughs> but in order to create actual real change in the world, you got to change all these ideas you receive in your meditation practice and express them in real palpable action steps in the world that help create change. And the reason I feel we fear expressing our masculine energy is because we've been the victims of it for thousands of years, being yeah. persecuted for, um, for like shining our light and expressing our feminine energy. And because we've had that feminine side of us suppressed for so long, we came forth right now, fear, like fiercely wanting to uh, support and the feminine and bring uh, the feminine aspect of, of, of source into this world in order to find this balance. But I feel that we're going about it, maybe if we continue just focusing on the, on the feminine, that we're going about it the wrong way and we'll end up just like flipping the scale on the other side and going from patriarchy to matriarchy. So that's why I'm focusing on the book all about balancing both masculine and feminine because it is only when we reclaim that balance that's so prevalent in nature that we're able to really create the change that we want to create in the world. I just loved reading about your journey growing up because obviously you, you did discuss, um, it really got me emotionally, especially explaining how you really had to, you know, force yourself to kind of embrace the masculine and it was the, the you know, flitting between the two and, and trying to balance everything out. Um, but I think more so, I loved how you, obviously one of the parts of the book that I said to you I really loved was about your trip to Glastonbury. And I know you said that you'd, you'd been a few different times, but you'd never managed to make it to, was it that you'd never made it to the... The God? White Spring Cave, which was the, 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 the cave in Glastonbury that holds a special kind of water called um, white spring water that yeah. is is connected to the divine masculine so i could never find that and there until i was meant to find it until perfect timing absolutely absolutely um so no i, I really liked how you and i think everybody really struggles with that side you know because um a lot of light workers a lot of you know people spiritually will be you know perhaps really really capable with obviously the you know the divine feminine but I, me myself i've had issues throughout life where i've been really on the you know the, the sort of masculine energy, energy side of things especially work-wise and it's so difficult to balance the two and you need to you really do for pretty much anything you're trying to do um you know spiritually most definitely um but no i, I, I so in regards to that you know in regards to the divine masculine um so I mean, why, why is it important to heal and sort of embrace our divine masculine energy? Because if we don't, it's either going to kill us or, yeah. <laughs> or uh, we're not going to follow and fulfill our life purpose. And I want to demonstrate what I mean with, with the story of, uh, of how I went to Glastonbury and I found this balance between the two and then it's all going to make sense. So Five years ago, I found myself in a very interesting situation. I was in London working a full-time job while working on my 
business, my spiritual business part time. And when you're starting a new business, you have to give a lot of your free time to that business. So that meant that I worked a nine to five job and I would come home and work on my business until midnight and then do the same thing again the following day. The weekends were dedicated again to my business. So I had no social life. I had no love life. I was just working, working, working all the time. And then three years of this masochistic like life later, I woke up one morning intending to go to work, but my body just would not move. I had exhausted it to the point that it just gave up on me. And that's when I realized that even though I had survived um, the abuse of masculine energy early on in my life, like as you read in the book, um, I, I realized I was gay. I couldn't accept that. And then I, I almost took my own life. So which was like this patriarchy, again, the abuse of masculine energy trying to take away my femininity and i thought i had survived that but there i was again years later having masculine energy that struggle hustle culture keep subversively and very subtly killing me softly yeah, yeah. <laughs> i like to bring in the song as well like cue in the song <laughs> so that's when i realized that there had to be a change and whenever I needed any sort of inspiration, I would go to Glastonbury in the UK. So I went to Glastonbury and right like during that time, whenever I would do a past life regression, I would see myself in a past life being a prostitute. And I'm like, what's up with all the prostitute past lives? Like what's going on here? There's something oh, for I me love- to release. So yeah. I did a past life regression in Glastonbury with Atasha Five, the author of Magical Past Lives. And mm-hmm. uh, we went back to the first lifetime where I incarnated as a prostitute. And what happened was I, um, I was pregnant with one of my client's babies. And yeah. when he found out, he stabbed me in the womb, killing the baby. So again, we have another example here of how patriarchy, the abuse of masculine energy, like killed my feminine energy. And from that lifetime onwards, I vowed to keep rejecting my feminine energy and to keep abusing my masculine energy. In this Mm -hmm. present lifetime, it manifested with me almost taking my own life because I, I didn't accept my feminine side, my homosexuality. And then eventually it was killing me like subversively while overworking myself. So I come out of the, um, of the past life regression. I'm like, okay, I need to embrace the divine feminine. But at the same time, I heard that, George, you're supposed to find the feminine from within the masculine. And I'm like, that doesn't make sense, but it felt true. So I had to trust it. And that's when, as, as you read in the book, I was inspired for the first time I found the White Spring Cave of Glastonbury. So Glastonbury has two springs, the White Spring and the Red Spring. And one symbolizes the divine masculine and the other symbolizes the divine feminine. And in the many times I had visited Glastonbury, I would always be attracted to the feminine because I needed so much of it and I could never find the masculine. So coming out of the past life regression, I got this calling that I had to embrace a divine feminine. But I heard something that did not make sense at the time, but it just felt right, which was, George, you have to find the feminine from within the masculine. So that's when I, as you've read in the book, I found the wide spring of Glastonbury. So for people not knowing anything about Glastonbury, Glastonbury has two springs 
the red spring representing the divine feminine and the white spring representing the divine masculine. So in the many times I had visited Glastonbury up to that point, I would always be attracted to the feminine, the feminine spring, the, the, the red spring, and I could not find the white spring. And it was because I was not ready to embrace the divine masculine energy and I was just abusing it. And it was after that past life regression that I was, <clears throat> that I was led to the uh, divine masculine wide spring cave in Glastonbury. And I went in there and I meditated for what felt like hours. And that's when I felt what that and knowing that I have to find the feminine from within the masculine was, which is the feminine and the masculine are really two sides of the same coins. Because when you're in your feminine energy, when you're meditating, you're receiving inspiration about the action steps you need to take. And therefore, that is also masculine. So feminine is also masculine when it's balanced. At the same time, when you're expressing your masculine energy and you're taking action, if it's balanced, it's coming. That action step is coming from inspiration. Therefore, it's coming from the feminine. So the two are really interconnected. Feminine is also masculine and masculine is also feminine. So the way to really embrace our masculine energy has to do with both embracing both feminine energy getting all that inspiration and that guidance that comes forth from that, and then expressing that in real palpable action steps towards our life purpose. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. So in terms of, I mean, obviously within witchcraft, both the masculine and feminine energies are so important. Obviously looking at, you know, especially if you look at Wicca, that's a huge area that is focused on, you know, obviously um, with a lot of the work there. Um, one thing I really think I wanted to ask you, I mean, I would say that I, I probably would say I've got quite a lot of, oh, it's at times like too much masculine energy mm. um and then other times you know you might feel that you've got too much going the opposite way so on the feminine well how can we balance it what do you do how how can we work so you know work on this so in the book i talk about moving these uh these energetic balance from energy to practicality therefore in the book, I talk about nurturing your light and I have a whole part of that on that and then working your light, which is nurturing your light is balancing your feminine and then working your light is about balancing your masculine and bringing that in practical ways into your life. So what do I mean practically is 
like at the very basic human level, ensuring that your days, your weeks, and your months are balanced in activities that are both feminine and that are masculine. For example, day-to-day life. We need to have a balance of our spiritual practice, which is the feminine aspect of, uh, of like the feminine, divine feminine energy, and then taking action towards uh, our life purpose, which is working our life and embracing our divine masculine. So let's say, for example, we spent three hours every single morning just connecting to source, receiving inspiration, meditating, just being involved in feminine kind of activities. It could be singing and dancing and resting and nurturing ourselves. So it's all this kind of receptive kind of activities. And then at the same time, we need to have time when we work our light, when we use manifestation techniques, when we do podcasts, when we write books and articles and just take all those ideas we've received in our feminine state and then execute them in the real world in real palpable ways. And then ensuring that this balance is practically uh, like, um, like of course, practically both in our days, in our weeks, as well as in our months. So that's a way of like micromanaging our energy levels in some way. But you know what? It's so easy to just uh, work on the divine feminine and masculine just by sitting and closing our eyes and going into meditations. Mm -hmm. But in my opinion, that's not that's just nurturing our light. That's just feminine energy. Even if we're working on masculine, that is a feminine kind of thing to do. It's all about working your light in real palpable ways. Hence the title, Light Workers Gotta Work. Indeed they do. <laughs> <laughs> no, I absolutely love the book. And obviously we are um, definitely, definitely going to have the book on the show further down the line. So when's the book actually due to come out, George? So the book is coming out in August 19th. And if you go to georgelizos.com forward slash lightwork, then you can pre-order the book and also enter your receipt number and you get a free two-hour workshop with me called Life Purpose Bootcamp, which is a live workshop that I'll teach in August 2nd that I'll help you find and define your life purpose in a specific two paragraph definition. So by the time you have the book, August 19th, then you will already know your life purpose and like ready to start putting it to work and working your light. Uh, before you go, I just wanted to read another section of your book that really gave me all the feels. Yes. <laughs> so another little um, audio book audition for you. Um, so, since our soul is a droplet of source itself within a physical body, not knowing our soul means that we don't know source and thus the way we lead ourselves in the world is disconnected to source. There's so many just beautiful nuggets. The way the book's written as well is beautiful. I loved, like I said, hearing about your journey growing up, the section, your whole experience of going to Glastonbury, you know, that's truly magical. Um, I was going to say, I mean, not only do you have the book coming out, but can you tell us a little bit more? I know that you obviously have a, your YouTube and podcast. So can you tell us a little bit more where to find you for those? Yes, of course. I'd love for everybody to come and hang out with me on Instagram. My handle is at George Lizos. And also I have a Facebook group that I share so many tools and guidance all about finding and following our life purpose. It's called Your Spiritual Toolkit. And it's like a virtual Hogwarts <laughs> where I share practical tools to help like to like like build up our toolkit with all the tools that we need to be able to move forward with our life purpose. And of course, on YouTube, you can search for George Lizos and I have a weekly videos, again, all focused around lightworkers and following our purpose. 
fantastic. You definitely need to listen to George's soothing tones. Um, George, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm so grateful. It's been fascinating. I, I absolutely love everything that you've um, gone into. So thank you ever so much. Oh my God, thank you so much for having me. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. Welcome back. Let's talk all about casting a circle. So casting a circle is entirely optional. Not all witches will cast a circle for any spell or ritual work that they carry out. I personally tend to cast a circle for any of my own work. So traditionally circles were believed by ritual magicians to be a protective barrier between them and that which they summoned. Nowadays, practitioners generally cast a circle to contain and concentrate the energy we believe to raise during a ritual. There are many different variances on casting a circle, but a lot of the similar elements are that a boundary is traced around your working area. Some witchcraft traditions believe you should trace a circle deosil, so clockwise, and that you should do that three times. Some witches may physically mark out the circle using chalk or salt or indicate it using cord. So I'm going to read a short paragraph from Matt Orin's Psychic Witch. We talked about this book on last week's book review. This is just a little paragraph in regards to what he refers to as the magic circle. The most common form of sacred space to the witch is the magic circle. The circle is a symbol of the infinite and finite. It is everything and nothing. It is the Ouroboros, the serpent eating its own tail, symbolic of the never-ending cycle of creation and destruction, birth and death, and a symbol of the cosmos without beginning or end. I love this book. It is so good, especially in regards to casting your circle, calling in the quarters. So definitely a good one to get. In essence, casting a circle to me is to form a magical barrier between me and the mundane world as I carry out my work. It keeps my intentions focused. It also keeps any negative energies away from my work. So sometimes I do get a bit freaked out when I do any ritual or spell work because you can feel the energy is high, but the circle keeps the high energy within the circle and concentrated. So before you cast your circle, it is advised that you should take a ritual bath or shower. If you don't have time to do that or opt not to, you might just want to make sure you feel clean and fresh. So once I've finished with my bath or shower, I will dress in comfortable light clothing. I like to keep the lighting low in my bedroom. I light candles at my altar and incense sticks. So dragon blood is my favorite. I recently discovered this is the best form of incense for success within any magical workings that you might be carrying out. It also has strong protection properties Overall, it is said that incense can actually lift your mood. However, it certainly has this effect on me, but by burning incense, my brain over the course of time now understands and associates it with the beginning of work pertaining to my craft. 
So I spend a lot of time preparing for the work I have at hand. I collect any tools, spell books, or items that I need for a spell. So my sacred space is within my bedroom. My altar sits on a beautiful French star chest of drawers. The items on my altar have been collected over the course of time. Each one has a real connection with me. I'm still yet to find myself an athame or a wand to add to my altar as I still haven't found the right one for me yet. I'm confident they will come across my path at the right time. So my altar comprises of many candles. I've got something beautiful, rose quartz holders, so it represents the fire element. I've got chalice, which is actually a Scottish white glass bonbon jar from the 1900s that I bought in Scotland many years ago. Obviously, my chalice represents the water element. So I've got incense sticks to represent the air element, a small glass full of salt for the earth element. I've got a glass jar full of spell candles, tarot and oracle cards, a small cauldron, which I use in spell work for burning or mixing items in. A jar of moon water taken from either the last full or new moon. I've also got a plant on my altar that I picked up at Astara. Many Wiccans will add a new plant to their altar at this time. So in addition to that, I've got an abalone shell which contains Paolo Santo and a sage wrap. I've got a teacup and saucer that I use for divination. I've got loads of little crystals in here. More recently, after the crystal episode, I picked up some big, chunky crystals. I'm now obsessed. I've got some large rose quartz, so a couple of chunks of that. I've got a selenite tower and some smoky quartz. So I've got a Moroccan-style rug placed in front of my altar that I use to sit on during my spell work or rituals. This is really good to have because you can just put all of your tools onto that rug. If you're burning candles or anything, you can do it over that. Always be really careful, obviously. Circle casting differs for each witch, but this is the process I like to follow. So once I'm ready to cast my circle, I ensure I have everything I need ready in front of my altar. So I grab my tarot and oracle cards as well because I'll often carry out a reading after any spell or ritual work that I've carried out, I basically harness the use of that higher energy, channel it into my cards. I might also link the reading to what I focus in on on my spell work. So for example, if I'm focusing on bringing something into my life on a new moon, I might read my cards in relation to that. If I'm working on a manifestation spell, I would see if any messages relating to that will come through. So also, you may want to make sure you've got a compass, some matches or a lighter, spell candles, anything that you need for spell work. So sage for burning to cast your circle or incense, any tools or spell ingredients. Make sure you replace the water in your chalice. Just prep, prep, prep. So I spend a lot of time on the preparation to make sure I have everything I need because the biggest pain in the arse is having to open your circle to go and get something. I speak from previous experience. I used to do this all the time when I first started out in my spell work. So before I cast my circle, I tend to make 
any offerings I was planning on to my dirty. And for me personally, I do call my patron dirty Hecate into my spell or ritual work to ask her to look over me and assist me as I work my magic. I'm really trying not to laugh. I recalled this, this section a couple of times because in my notes, I put Hecate, queen of the underground. So all I keep thinking now is Hecate just rolling around on the London underground on like the circle, the central line, like one stop short of barking. But sorry, Hecate. So yeah, I basically honour what Hecate likes to receive in the form of offerings. But I also like to remind myself she is queen of the underworld, not the underground. So what would a queen like? I wonder what the queen of the underground would be like. Anyway, so the other day I did some spell work and offered her some Prosecco in a beautiful wine glass and a beautiful red rose. Sorry. As I think this is really luxurious and queen-like. This is my personal preference, but also something that I feel like I'm slightly sacrificing because, to be honest, I'd quite like to drink that Prosecco and quite like to keep the rose for myself. But I'm currently reading a book purely on Hecate, how to work with and honour her. It's a true piece of art. Going to discuss it on the next podcast episode. Can't wait to talk to you about it. But it reassured me as it stated that if the offering is a sacrifice to you, that's acceptable to your deity. So again, circles aren't necessary for the practice of magic. However, if you call upon deities to help you, you can work with them to amplify your power or help grant your request. The circle provides a channel that divine energy can flow and you are also expanding your awareness of the deities within. So some witches like to leave an offering of food or drink at the end of their work within the circle. But I've just always shown up to my deities with an offering first, hoping they may assist me. Some witches may use a besom or broom to clean any air and energy in the space that you cast your circle. So you can create a sweeping motion around the area you work in and your altar or around any tools that you were using. So I don't personally do this. However, I do take everything off of my altar, clean the area up, mainly out of respect to my deities. You could also sage cleanse over your altar before you get started to clean the energies. So I have sage bundles for sage cleansing, but the smell really makes me sick. It is so frustrating. I feel like such a failed witch. As soon as I smell sage, I want to throw up. I get the worst headache. So generally, I've had to stop doing any magic work I'm trying to do. And it's really frustrating. I keep coming back to it to see if that might change. But no. So I have to use incense instead, which just feels like a personal failure. But anyway, it's not if you have to do that. I'm sure lots of other people feel the same with the smell of sage. But this is a fair representation of how I cast my own circle. So firstly, I start by adding a small amount of salt to fresh clean water in my chalice. So I dip my fingers into this and mix it with my fingers. So to be honest with you, obviously, I don't have an affirme or wand because I still haven't found the right one. But if you have an affirme, you may wish to use this or, or a wand entirely up to you. This is your practice. You do what feels best for you. This is where my compass comes in handy. 
or rather originally the compass on my iPhone. So I've kind of got used now to where I need to stand for north, south, east and west. So at first I was really reliant on the compass on my iPhone just to sort of show me exactly where I needed to be. So standing facing east is where it said you should start off. So holding my chalice with the salt water in, I work diacil or clockwise and I rotate, sprinkling the water around in a circle, envisioning a white line of light running around me. I envisage the water cleaning the area and I do this until I return to my starting point facing east. Then I take my fire and air elements, so sage or incense, once again from facing east, go around in a clockwise direction, fan the sage around with your hand or your incense rather around your circle. So once I've done this, I will often call upon Hecate or any other deity I may wish to involve in my work. This is optional. Some witches obviously do not work with deities, but I will normally just say something like, Hecate, goddess of witchcraft, I call upon you to watch over me while I work. So facing east, I will then close my eyes and visualize roots growing out the bottom of my feet into the ground. I then visualize a strong white light coming up through the ground into the base of my feet, working its way up through my legs, through into my stomach, through all of my body, so up into my arms and hands, working its way through my neck, into my head, then I visualize it beaming up through the top of my head. I keep thinking of the roots I've grown through my feet into the ground. This gives me a connection to the earth. So I like at this point to say, as above, so below. So I will then open my eyes and while still facing east, I put out my right hand. So my most dominant hand I use for magic. Again, you may wish to use an athame or wand for this. I will call upon the element of air saying something along the lines of element of air. I call upon you to watch over me whilst I work. Then I'll move around to the south and do the same. I keep my hand out as I rotate. I will say I invite the element of fire as I cast my circle. Then I move to the west and call upon the element of water. Then to the north and call upon the element of earth. Then I return to east and put both my hands above myself and say, I invite the element of spirit as I cast my circle. I then carry out any ritual or spell work that I have planned. So you may find, like I was saying earlier, that you need to break your circle. If you've forgotten something or if something comes up, what you don't want to do is have to hurriedly close your circle. And it's really impossible to do that. You want to basically... When it comes to closing your circle, put the same amount of energy and time in as you did originally opening it. So a good thing that you can do is use the magical knife technique. So I will stand facing east where I started my circle casting and I will cut a visual door shape that I can get in and out of into the air in front of me that I can exit the circle through. So I'll use my right hand and create this visualized door. I'll open and close it behind me. So actually go to open and close a handle on it. I quickly get what I need and return back to my circle, open the door, step back in. 
I'll get back into the middle of my circle and I'll hold up my right hand and visualize using my hand to seal the door. So running along the lines you made to create your visual door and this reseals your circle. So when it comes to closing my circle, once I've carried out all my work, I will start facing east in a kneeling position where I called upon spirit. Then I'll stand up fully raising my right hand up high and envisioning that white light dropping back into the top of my head, going back through all of my body, back down through my legs into my feet. So we're using the same amount of time and energy into bringing that energy down as we did to bringing it up. So that energy will run into the base of my feet, back into the ground. I then visualize the roots coming out of the ground, back into my feet. So at this point, I will thank the element of spirit. So I'll say something along the lines of, I thank the element of spirit. I now close this circle. I will then move from east to north and hold my right arm out in front of me saying, I thank the element of air. I now close this circle. I move from north to west, thanking earth in the same way, then round to south, thanking fire. Then I return to east. So you basically will turn widdishins or anti-clockwise when it comes to closing your circle. At this point, I'll then thank Hecate or any deity that I've worked with. Obviously, not everyone will work with a deity in their spell work. Then I'm done. But I always make sure I close my circle with exactly the same amount of effort that I put into opening it. I think that's really important. So I'm just going to finish off with a little section from, again, Psychic Witch by Matt Orim in relation to the magic circle. Betwixt and between is a traditional witchcraft phrase for the state of liminality in which the witch operates. The magic circle serves as the creation of liminal space. The liminal is the threshold of being neither here nor there, neither now nor then. For the witch, the liminal is a state of being of pure potential. It's the nexus point where raw energy converges. This is why certain places are considered powerful in regards to witchcraft, such as the crossroads where two paths merge but aren't quite either, or the shore where the ocean bleeds into the land. Times such as midnight are liminal in nature. Midnight has been referred to as the witching hour and is seen as a powerful time to create magic. In liminal spaces, you don't have to decide to be in this world or the other world. You're simultaneously in both without being in either. So just finishing up today's episode with something a little bit different. This week, out of curiosity, I had a look on the Apple News app just to see if there were any news articles relating to witchcraft. I wasn't disappointed. There's tons on there. I came across an article in regards to creating your own spell box, something that I'm working on currently, but I thought I'd run it past you to see if it was something that you may also be interested in creating yourself. So to start off with, you'll need a really nice box that you like the look of. So perhaps a wooden box, jewelry box, cigar box, a pretty tin. Just make sure that you like the look of it. It's got to feel special, got to feel a bit magical. So at this point, you need to choose what you want to put into it. So think about what you're trying to bring into your life. So you might want to travel somewhere in particular. So maybe grab a photo or print one out of a destination. You might want to add pictures of a happily married couple 
Or you might want to put a picture in of what your dream job or house looks like. Anything that feels magical to you creates a high vibration within. You may have quotes or words, anything that basically resound with who you want to be. So grab all your pictures, all your items. Once you've got everything close together, you want to close your box and say over it a magical phrase or couplet. So perhaps speak your own heartfelt intention. For example, something along the lines of magic spell box, make my deepest desires my reality. Or something like magic spell box, bring to me all the things that here I see. These photos and words will lead me to the wishes that will all come true. So speak from your heart with your full intention. Then what you want to do is place each photo or item into the box one by one. Say an intention for what you want each one to do or become. So for example, I have an amazing new husband. I don't, but you get the drift. I happily receive a promotion and a raise. Speak it into existence. Only use words that signify your spell has been granted. So make sure you sound convincing and in your power as you say each intention. Half-hearted efforts always lead to half-hearted results. So finally, you want to seal your spell box with a final spell. So once all your items are in the box, close it up and say some final words that you've chosen. Something like, thank you, Magic Spell Box, for making my wishes come true. I would word it as though it has already happened. So once you've closed it, put your box somewhere safe, like the back of a closet, bottom drawer, on top of a bookshelf, just somewhere where you won't forget about it. What you want to do is sort of leave it to work its magic, not keep checking in with it every day, berating that your wishes haven't come true yet. You can add additional wishes to it if you choose, but don't interfere with your existing wishes. It's quite good to do this as an annual task. So you might choose to do it around your birthday or beginning of a year. So I took this information, as I said, from the Apple News app. It was written by Madame Pamita if you wanted to check it out. So I just wanted to take a moment and thank you all once again for your support. I had a notification this week to say that my podcast has been selected by a panel for Feedspot as one of the top 30 witch podcasts. I'm currently sitting at number 18 and I'm over the moon for the show to have even been picked up on by them. So I'll put the link in the show notes so you can see the list and also check out the other shows that might be of interest to you. They're all witchy. One of my absolute favourites has always been the Witch Bitch Amateur Hour. I love Charlie and Macy. They are brilliant. So once again, I'm so grateful for your all your lovely reviews and messages. I'm so overwhelmed, honestly. Don't be afraid to get in touch if you've got any books you would like reviewed or topics covered. I'm on it. Um, you can catch me on Instagram at The White Witch Company, on Facebook, The White Witch Company. And I know I always say this, if you're happy to leave me a review, I'd be really grateful. It just means that other witches can find us trying to build up a little community with you all. Witches, have a fantastic week. Love to you all. I hope you're all doing well considering current circumstances. Have a great week. Speak to you soon. Bye.